everyone, and welcome to episode eight of the podcast. It has been quite a while. I do apologize, but I hope we have a nice, fun, action-packed episode for you guys. Today, I am here with Miss Megan Hargrave. Hello, folks. And making her podcast debut, we've had quite a number of debuts lately, uh, Miss Janine Stanley. Hello, hello. So... In the unlikely event that people don't know who you are, Janine, could you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself for us? Sure. Well, I am a guide dog handler. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. And currently I work for the Guide Dog Foundation, which is where a lot of you might know me from. I'm the Consumer Relations Coordinator. I am not speaking in that capacity tonight, as will become very evident later on. But I have met a lot of you through NAGDU and on the NAGDU list and also in a lot of other guide dog groups over the years. Indeed. All right. Well, we are coming off of a very busy month. And the beginning of that month was filled with convention. And uh, I went and saw quite a bit of guide dog related stuff. There was quite a bit of discussion about recent developments with airlines and recent developments regarding emotional support animals and different things like that. There was, there was much discussion. But also, there was a lot of guide dog gear at NFB when I went. There were literally three tables. Um, you had Julie, who's been on our show before with On The Go. Of course, Nagdu has their stuff. And then Roughware was there as well, showing off a oh, new yeah, harness. Question I was mark? so excited. They were right next to our table. And, ooh, oh, my guide dog geek went into high gear. Yes, I won one of the toys that they brought with them. It was a little <gasps> rock ooh. that you could put dog food in and my dog absolutely loves this thing it is awesome and this harness I will let somebody who saw it more recently than I because I saw it last year and I'm assuming it has developed since then describe kind of what it's about and uh, what they're aiming to do with it so my poor dog was subjected to harness try-ons, <laughs> and um, I, I think he actually enjoyed it because he got to get out of the booth, and uh, that was good. But I actually tried on test drove the Roughwear one and the uh, sport harness that Julie has from on the go, and and I love the sport harness. I had one of her originals way back in the day, and uh, this one was it was great. But the Roughwear harness has to be the oddest looking thing that I think I've ever seen on one hand because of the handle. Most of us are used to a handle with two shafts that attach at the dog's shoulders to the harness body, right? Well, this thing has one stick. It looks sort of like something you might find in construction equipment, or (laughs) I don't know, it's one shaft. It attaches in the middle of the dog's back up by the shoulders, and it can be configured to give you the feel of just about any kind of harness you can think of, from an offset to an ergonomic handle to a straight handle to who knows what else. The way that they make this harness mimic other harness 
styles with two shafts is that they move the shaft kind of horizontally so you can tilt this bar a little bit. And then on the end of the bar, the handle is this big kind of plastic Gosh, it, it looks like a handle for some kind of hardware device. I don't know. It's, it's very odd looking at first. This is not your grandpa's harness, okay? <laughs> it's just not. It's not leather. It's not uh, that old school, you know, super professional, dignified looking guide dog harness. No, it is definitely a 21st century looking piece of equipment. There's no beveled um, edges on it, but, and no brushed nickel on it, but. The handle is definitely bizarre. The eye guide. Uh, it fits nicely. Yes, the eye guide, yes. <laughs> it fits nicely in your hand, though. And the really cool part is that it can be configured to just about any way you want your hand to be. So you can turn it, you can tilt it forward, you can do all kinds of things. So ergonomically, it feels great in your hand. Now, the harness body is made of sort of this backpack kind of material with padding and nylon straps that are adjustable all over the place. I mean, this thing adjusts in the chest, it adjusts underneath. The only thing that it needs a little work on is that the hole that the dog's head goes through on this thing is very small. And so if you've got a dog with a big head or big shoulders, this is going to be a problem. And they, they've seen this, and they're coming out with a new prototype next fall, uh, this fall, actually, in a couple months. And they hope to have this thing available for sale by the end of the year or uh, early next year. They said probably February at the latest. You can get it in several different colors at this point, and they can do that on a school-by-school -school basis, etc., uh, it does have a martingale, which actually really helps with the feel of the harness because the front part of it, where there's just normally a chest strap that goes around, you know, your dog's chest. That's why they call it a chest strap, Jenny. <laughs> but um, it's more like a sort of a Y front or a yoke that goes and covers the dog's entire chest. And then the strap goes down between the legs, of course, as the martingale part. And you put the uh, girth strap through that and clip it up on the side and voila. It looks like it might be a little hot also, but they assured us that they're working on some ways to make sure that it's going to stay cool because it looked like it might be hot. The nice part also is that the back piece that goes over your dog's back is not just a strap. It almost looks like a little saddle. And I'm making hand movements here. <laughs> like, yeah, that's going to help. But that actually helps distribute the weight a little bit better. This is a very lightweight harness, too. And so I walked through the exhibit hall, which is sort of like a Manhattan crowd on, you know, Christmas week on Fifth Avenue, which I'm, I'm a big fan of every year. I go to look at the store displays every year. And uh, that's a workout for your dog, by the way. Um, and the NFB exhibit hall is a lot like that, actually. <laughs> Lots of yelling people and excitement and great displays and people wall to wall. And I initially thought, the way this handle was, I thought, oh, this is going to be horrible. How am I going to feel my dog with this handle? And I was amazed. I felt every little footstep that my dog made. And I have a little golden retriever who's probably about 23 inches tall and about 55 pounds. So he's a little guy. And he was just happy as a clam. And then we went outside 
And I found that I needed a little bit different, a little bit more adjustment to the handle if I was walking really fast on a straightaway. They right now, this particular harness is only going to be available to the guide dog schools. And for owner trainers, you can contact Greg Fry at Roughware, and he will talk to you a little bit and find out a little bit more about you and make you a deal. That was at least what he was telling folks at NFB. So um, the harness is probably going to go out to the guide dog schools beginning of the year. Who knows what each individual school is going to do with it. Um, I believe Guide Dogs for the Blind is already using it for their running guides. They have a, a nice orange and yellow one that's really bright colored so you can be seen when you're out and about. Um, the one he had at convention was like a slate gray, kind of more professional businessy one. He said they had a denim one. <laughs> I'm thinking, I want, I want acid green or like bright neon lime green just because you can see it. Now, tacky, sure, why not? I mean, hey. Um, for some reason in my brain, that harness shaft and handle became a cane and it got the, you know, reflective cane tape on it in my brain and the handle became red. Now, I don't think it's that color at all. I think it's actually black, but in my brain, it's now red and white. So, <laughs> so. so anyway, that is the rough wear harness as I experienced it. So I wonder what they would do for somebody like me who wants this thing. Now, I love my, my sport harness. Absolutely, I love it. But mm -hmm. I want this thing for my current dog, even though she's from a program. And I mm -hmm. would love to be able to, you know, get a hold of one. But I think they are selling it right now. If you're from a program, no questions. You know, yeah, I'm from Seeing Eye. Okay, he's going to call and check with Seeing Eye. Oh, you're from Guide Dog Foundation. Okay, no problem. He's going to check with the school, and you can actually get the harness. Um, that was my understanding, was that it wouldn't be a problem for program graduates to buy the harnesses if your program wasn't going to give you one. And I can't think of too many programs that are going to replace their stock completely. No. Um, I would guess what, what the programs are going to do, like ours, if we like it, we're going to start with our new graduates, and then as you need harness replacements, people get it, or you can buy it. And it sounded like they had a version for the schools to use, which would be adjustable by the instructor with this little tool that they had. And then they're working on one that if they make it available to us, which it sounded like they were going to, we could adjust it ourselves. And I really liked that. It looked like it might be a little heavier, though, but it wasn't completely clear because they only had a prototype of it. And it wasn't, it wasn't even for test driving yet. But I thought, wow, that would be great, you know, if you could adjust it yourself and then you could figure out exactly what you liked, you know, and what felt good for you and better for you and your dog. Right. Or even if we had that tool available to us to use, oh, yeah. that would be nice. I mean, <laughs> I don't personally feel that I need a special version of a harness that is easier to adjust, you know, but I'm Yeah, and I'm not minded. sure what was... Yeah, I'm not sure what was making it, you know, something that you couldn't adjust yourself if it came with the tool. And it reminds me of, you know, you get things like, oh, I'm thinking like the Colorino Color ID thing that comes with the little screwdriver so you can get in and change the batteries. Yeah. You know, something like that. Oh, look, it comes with its own little tool. They were also talking about 
um, putting some additions on this thing, like harness pouches and mm. like a way to fasten your cane on there. Yes. Because some people yes, do use yes, their canes, yes, you know, yes. with their dogs. Yeah. And I thought That's that was really cool. Cane. That would be amazing. Yes. So you could just like stick the little telescoping cane through the Velcro loops and voila, you've got your cane right there, which yeah, I amazing. thought was brilliant. That was yes. great. So, and nothing, I mean, they are willing to listen to any and all ideas here. So That's um, cool. hopefully they'll get that neck thing straightened out and it won't be quite so tight around the neck. I know Roger wasn't a fan of that, my little guy. And he knows we're talking yeah. about me sitting right here. Like, oh. yeah, I had to wear that thing. It was embarrassing. Oh. It was terrible. <laughs> so Megan, I know that it was your first time at a convention. What were your thoughts coming from a rookie standpoint as well as a rookie with a dog? Well, it was definitely an interesting experience. I quite enjoyed it. I had a great time meeting everybody and making new connections and seeing different things. I didn't explore the exhibit hall too, too much because it was a little overwhelming for me. But And I, I just really don't like crowds. But as a guide dog handler's perspective, my dog exceeded my expectations immensely. Um, we've been having some dog distraction issues and he did really, really well there. He doesn't mind guide dogs, apparently. <laughs> but um, I really, really enjoyed the experience. It was definitely different. Yeah. It, it is a different experience, but it's a lot of fun. It's dogs probably everywhere. the hardest place your dog will ever work. Right? Mm-hmm. The first couple of days, he was really focused, and he was great. However, by Thursday or Friday, he's like, no, I'm going to just meander. I'm going to look at things. <laughs> I'm going <gonna, laughs> to try to get away with sniffing. Yep, they do that. My first dog would shut down about the fourth day of convention, and he would demand a night off. So I either, need to bring, I either needed to bring a cane and heal him around the hotel, or I needed to leave him with somebody because he needed a night off. And then he was good, but he had to have his night. And it happened every year, and I took him to convention three times. See, I was really, really good with Henny, and I did give him time off. Usually I would do stuff in the mornings, and then afternoons I'd kind of take off, and he would get to sleep and just hang out and play. So that was good. I kind of figured he needed that, so. And Roger did, we did three conventions at once, and, and NFB was our middle one of that stretch. And his reward sounds totally counterintuitive, but he loved the birdcage because <laughs> he loves birds. So the reward was, okay, let's go see the birds. And he got to sit and watch the birds for a count of, like, 20. And then we could go on our way and do whatever we were going to do. That's But hilarious. as long as he got to watch the birds. And that so that was great. his reward. And he was cool. Once I figured out, all right, let me give him something fun in this lobby. Because I don't know what was in my brain. I got lost so many times in that main lobby. Because I was in the, the elevators to the upper floors, which weren't, you know, in they're an not. intuitive place no, in my not. brain. No. And <laughs> they really are not. And so, you know, going to see the birds was great because then we were right there by the stairs where we could go down and, you know. And then, of course, he saw the pool and the fountain out there, and it was like, we really need to go back inside? Well, there's no door inside right now. 
So I'm <laughs> sorry, but you can't go back inside because there's no door. Now you can go over here to the bar. You know, you need to do that, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so all kinds I, of fun. I was amazed. This is Whitley's second convention, second in that hotel. We were on the third floor. And so there is one elevator that goes to the third floor. And the first day, my boyfriend and I walked together over to that elevator, not even trying to orient me. We just walked together because we had something to do. The second day, I was by myself. I was coming back from something. And I was nervous. I was like, oh, we're not going to be able to find this elevator. And I just came out in the lobby and all of a sudden my dog starts pulling like a freight train and I'm like what 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 and I swear to you this dog weaved through the lobby went past the desk and nosedived into that little alcove with the elevator in it like right here mom and I was like oh my god my dog is Yay. too smart <laughs> see that elevator was really 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 easy to find but the upper Level elevators was brutal. Oh my gosh! Yes, and I finally I started to so get it times. like the last day. Yeah, you, you know? always do. Like, you always do. Uh huh. What I used to do mm -hmm. is use the lower floor ones to go up to the tenth floor and then cut across. Um, oh yeah, but uh, there was some news at NFB this year that next year's convention will be in Las Vegas. At the Mandalay Bay. And anybody else concerned? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Having yeah. been to a couple other conventions in Las Vegas during that time of year, folks, if your dogs aren't used to wearing boots, you may want to start now. Yep. Uh, start practicing because you're going to need them, if you're, even if you're going out to relieve because uh, I don't know what kind of relief setup they're going to have at Mandalay Bay. The times that I went, we were at the Riviera, which, thank God, is literally no more. But one year we actually did have a service come and do the relief areas, and they put an awning over them. Otherwise, it, it is just brutal. Um, and we're talking temps in the hundreds during the day, and that's just not good. Um, it's very, very hot. If you do any tours or anything like that outside, um, your dog's going to have to have boots. And your dog is going to be very, very hot. If your dog is not used yes. to hot climates. And look, I said earlier, you know, I said what I said, not because I'm necessarily concerned about my dog's safety. I'm concerned about the the number of people who may not be prepared. So I want to pass along information now and tips now because this is a different environment than most dogs have ever been in. Texas has been in the hundreds, low hundreds, very humid this summer and my dog can stand about 10 minutes out in it and then she is hot, very hot, dangerously hot. Folks, you don't mess with this. It yeah. is, and the Vegas hot is really dry too. Yes. So it sneaks up on you, people and dogs. And I don't know the layout of Mandalay Bay, but you know it's a nice venue. From all that I hear, it's my sister's favorite Las Vegas hotel, 
And uh, she did that staying in seven hotels and seven nights thing. Um, she doesn't have a guide dog, though. <laughs> so there are going to be a lot of distractions, a lot of things for you personally to go do and see. Honestly, and this is me, if I go and am representing my employer, uh, I, of course, have to take my dog. But if I wasn't and I decided to go, I would probably leave my dog at home for this one, honestly. It may not be a horrible idea. I'm thinking about Just it. Just saying. Because it's going to be a lot of stress. It and, is. Um, mm -hmm. In a not so good way. You know, a new venue is always tough for people. It's going to be tough to learn. Um, I'm sure, as usual, you guys are going to have fantastic directions for people. Um, but it is going to be a big venue. So, you know, just something to think about. And the nice part is that nobody's going to judge you, you know, if you decide to leave your dog at home. No, no. And doesn't mean you're a bad handler. It actually means you're probably, probably a very conscientious handler. Right. And it's not to say that those who choose to bring their dogs aren't. It's you right. need to consider yeah. what's best for you, how much you can handle, <laughs> what you can deal with. And... It is what's best for your dog, too. Yeah. Yep. Some dogs yep. under that kind of stress just will not do well. Now, mm -hmm. I am a board member of Nagdu. So as a result, I may have to bring my dog and like just it looks better if I do unless she just can't handle it. But there is going to be just so much the Las Vegas Hotel is pet friendly. The Rose and Shingle Creek also was pet friendly. I did have an issue with someone with a very, very, very barky dog this year. Small dog that was out of control. But I'm not so sure that they were sighted. Didn't we run into that dog together in the elevator? Yep, in the elevator. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I had somebody in the hotel across from me, across the hall from me, who had a very barky little dog, apparently. Oh. And uh, it was kind of, all I could think of was, oh, please, don't let that phone ring and it be the desk, thinking, no, <laughs> you know, and, and luckily, no. But it, it was odd because I knew it was pet friendly. I think I only encountered one actual pet dog that was behaving better than my dog was at the moment. So, <laughs> yeah, I I am slightly concerned, you know, just because of, the culture in Vegas is different than that from Orlando. Yes. And so yes. we may experience more pet problems. We may not. I may be surprised. And I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to be realistic. Um, like, I know that, for example, my dog will not go to the bathroom in her booties. We are going to be starting now in working on that. <laughs> High-value treats. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is there a high-enough-value treat? <laughs> yeah. She she just will not go in her booties. And I may literally have to start with them only on her front feet and work up. And mm -hmm. just try to see if I can get her to go with even one on would be progress. And these are all things, folks, that you really do have to think about ahead of time. Because yeah. it does take a long time to get them accustomed to, you know. Some dogs are great with it, you know. But I'm not sure how my guy is going to respond. He wears the paws, the P-A-W-Z boots in the mm -hmm. winter. And those are fine, but those are not going to protect in the summer. No. And so he's going to have to wear something else. And that's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm yeah. not looking forward to that little... Uh, exercise, which I'm going to have to start 
you know, yep. fairly soon to get him used to it because um, he has bathroom issues, you know. <laughs> my first dog would go anywhere. My second dog oh my is gosh. the kind of dog that when I first put booties on her would lay down. She laid down in the middle of the training mm-hmm. lounge and would not move. And we had to pull her across the floor until she stood up. And then she walked half a block and laid down on the sidewalk in 90-something degree heat. Yep. Um, That's my dog. That's beautiful. Good job, That's beautiful. See, my guy, would he just tries to kick his off, and so he looks like he's doing this can-can dance, you know, (laughs) slamming his front feet on the ground, (laughs) kicking up his back feet, like, get it off me now. (laughs) She kicks her back ones up so high she kicks herself in the tail. Oh, my goodness. Yep. <laughs> wow. And her tail is short. Yep, her tail is very short. I was going to say, that's an impressive kick. Yeah, she, <laughs> she, um, she has kicked me in the hip on more than one occasion with her back paw. Wow. She does wow. not like them. She really doesn't like them. And, folks, my dog mm-hmm. is 20 inches tall. She's not she that She is big. a little bitty thing. <laughs> I was shocked when I got to meet her finally. Like, oh my gosh, she's tiny. <laughs> yep, that was my first reaction. Anyway, so we're going to take a break here, and we are going to drop in some convention audio that I got. The University of North Georgia was doing a pretty cool study at convention, and I got an interview with Sue Ann Kalish, who is the of the director of that study and we have dropped this in and we will see you folks after the break hello everyone this is Aaliyah live at 2018 national federation of the blind convention doing this interview for the podcast ran into some folks who i will introduce momentarily who are doing some pretty neat work so um, why don't you guys introduce yourselves and uh, talk about what you do Absolutely. Uh, good afternoon. I'm Sue Ann Kalish. I am an associate professor at the University of North Georgia in the doctoral program of physical therapy, and I am one of the uh, the lead investigator on this particular study. This is Erin. Go ahead, Erin. Hi, I'm Erin. I am one of the student researchers and a student in the physical therapy program at the University of North Georgia, and I have the pleasure of being here at this um, conference to help with this study. And we have Tommy Otley has also joined us. Well, I am Tommy. I am a second-year student also on the project. Um, and so happy to be here. Awesome. So could you guys tell me a little bit about what you are researching and how you, um, how you got to be doing this research? Yes, we, we have just a really great story. Uh, about three years ago, through um, one of our students, who was a puppy dog raiser, a guide dog puppy raiser, uh, when she was in undergraduate school, uh, Kind of provided us with some anecdotal information, and then another one of our co-researchers, Dean Connor Kerr, had also observed some um, had some observational studies of guide dog users when she was treating the patient for an unrelated issue. And so the question came up: Is um, is there anything that we can do as physical therapists that can help guide dog users um, use their guide dog better, like without pain, without joint pain? And we sent out a survey last year um, that is, a, uh, the information is about ready to be published that actually said that it looks like guide dog users tend to have an increased uh, amount of pain in their shoulders um, 
after they acquire a guide dog. So from there, we decided that we really just needed to characterize the gait of a guide dog user. What is that? How can we describe a guide dog user's gait in physical therapy terms? And that would include things like sway, posture control, gait speed, gait length. And you guys want to input anything on that? Yeah, so where we went from that is we are using a system called the Gate Right system. Um, and the Gate Right uh, helps us measure some of those components uh, to a guide dog user's gait, just like any other person. Um, and so through this uh, conference, we're here um, being able to kind of take uh, data and, and get some subjects uh, to be able to identify maybe possibly what are some of the causes to some of those musculoskeletal issues that some of the guide dog users are facing and seeing if we can do. Uh, like Dr. Kaler said, be able to uh, remedy some of those. I think a real funny story, actually how we got connected, and I had forgotten this, we were presenting our last year's study at a national conference, and I found pictures online that I wanted to use in our poster presentation, and I, it happened to connect me to Marion Guizdala, who's the president of the National Association of Guide Dog Users, and um, I just sent him an email and said, can we use your pictures? He said, what are you doing? And that struck up a friendship. So we've been talking probably since last November about all of this activity, and he invited us to this conference. So I've been really, I'm really grateful to Marion and all of his work that he's done with uh, with us, and to Luann Blake, who has been very instrumental in helping us find a room and, and getting us set up so we could actually conduct this study. Awesome. Um, so, you know, as, as I just you know, went through this. It's, it's, it's really interesting that you guys are, are doing this work because I, I, as a guide dog user, have heard so many stories, you know, of people having these experiences and, and pain and different, different things, especially like with a dog like mine who's really short. Right. And, you know, you kind of have to reach down a little bit to, to work the dog, so it's a little, it's a little different there. But um, it'll be interesting to see where this goes, and um, I'd like to, you know, keep in touch and possibly, you know, bring you back on the show for another interview, if, you know, as, as your findings, you know, progress and you, and you have more information. Um, but I wanted to thank you for being here and uh, taking a little bit of time to talk to us about what you're doing. And um, if people have any questions, um, how can they get a hold of you? Yes, please. Uh, my email is suann, S-U-E-A-N-N dot Kalish, K-A-L-I-S-H at U-N-G dot E-D-U. And Alea, you have been more than kind in, in interviewing us, and we are just thrilled to be here and to um, try to offer any any assistance we can to uh, improve everybody's quality of life. Sure. Excellent. Great. We'll stay in touch. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. And live from NFB 2018, this is Aaliyah Dudley. Before we get into our main topic of discussion, we have an article here that we'll have in the show notes about Publix taking an interesting stand and a quite positive one, I might add, about service animals. They have posted signs and are now adopting policies that state that service dogs are allowed, and they're the only ones that are allowed, and they are not to ride in grocery carts. Yay! Yay! 
because the frequently asked questions from the DOJ states clearly that service animals should not be riding in shopping carts. It is really nice to see someone having the gall to stand up and say enough is enough. And yes, I think I absolutely agree. I think it's the first step on a long, long road. And if we keep going this way and businesses keep standing up for their rights, we are going to have a much, much better system than we have now. And I think for those people who say, well, you know, my little service dog, I don't want it down on the floor. Well, that's not actually what the, the guidance document says. It says that you can carry your dog if it's too small to be down on the floor. And I, I have a dear friend who has a service dog, and we'll talk about this in a minute, who is of a breed that is readily associated with, you know, the fake dogs. And a lot of people think that, oh, yeah, right, that's a service dog, but she actually is, and she's very, very well behaved. But this little dog, you know, rides in a pouch on her person, perfectly fine, perfectly up out of the way, life is good. So it can be done, and it really should be done, you know, for the dog's safety if they're that small. But don't use this, oh, it's a service dog, like that's a blanket excuse. I am so glad that Publix is doing this because Florida, where Publix is located, where a lot of their stores are, that is a prime location for this whole entitlement kind of mentality around my dog will go with me and I'll call it a service dog. So yay, Publix, you get the Golden Kibble Award. Indeed. All right. One of the main reasons I brought Janine on the show this evening is to talk about service animals other than guide dogs. You know, we get stuck in our niche as guide dog handlers and we talk a lot about what, you know, what we're entitled to and we are the almighty guide dog handler and we, we, you know, well, the public should just recognize our dogs as service dogs. And, you know, and kind of other handlers be darned as far as other service animals go. So... I wanted to get Janine on here to talk about other service dogs and what kind of things, you know, other other disabled people might use a service animal for and the unique challenges those people face when they're going into public spaces with their dogs, especially when their disability might not be as readily visible as ours. Right. So I started learning about people with other types of service dogs way back in the dark ages, um, like 20, 25 years ago, um, when I really became interested in how dogs work and what dogs can do. And I learned about the service dog organizations that were in Ohio and, and around the country and what other kinds of things they did. And this was right when the ADA was being signed into law. And pretty soon, guess what? We were all going to be grouped together under one umbrella. It wasn't going to be guide dogs, oh, and all these other dogs. No, it was going to be service animals. And we happen to be a part of that. And we happen to be the ones with the long history of, you know, putting all the sweat equity into the access that we have. And 
it's easy sometimes for people to think, oh, yeah, the service dog people just rode along on our coattails. Well, no, they actually didn't. They had a lot of things to prove on their own and are still having things to prove. Before I became employed at the Guide Dog Foundation, I was on the board and I had the pleasure and and sometimes a maddening experience of helping them to start a sister subsidiary organization to train service dogs. And we did that because we had a lot of dogs that weren't making it as guide dogs, but they were perfectly good dogs. They just maybe didn't lead out or whatever. Uh, and so we said, why don't we try training service dogs and let's limit it to veterans because at the time our director of training was a veteran and that was a you know of course with 9-11 and everything that was a hot hot thing to get into it still is a hot thing to get into so we began training service dogs and we trained them for a variety of things to do a variety of things for their people from the physical things like retrieving things and opening doors and helping people walk by helping them steady uh, their balance, helping people go up and down stairs, things like that, to some more kind of existential tasks for people with PTSD. They would do nightmare interruption. Uh, they would, uh, first we had them jumping up on the bed and then we had them nudging people and, and then we had uh, deep pressure therapy kinds of things. And we were doing this in conjunction with Assistance Dogs International and keeping in touch with what people were actually needing their dogs to do out there in the real world. So you've got all the dogs that do things for people with physical disabilities that are pretty standard. You have hearing dogs that alert people to sounds, including traffic, by the way, because a lot of what some hearing dogs do mimics a lot of what our dogs do. Because if you can imagine being hearing impaired and you're looking one direction and a car is coming the other, your dog had better intelligent disobedience to keep you from stepping out in front of that car that you're not seeing because you're not looking at it. So that's something people don't think about a lot. Dogs for people with autism, particularly children, to keep them connected to their families. You're literally tethering the kid to the dog and having that dog, being able to relate to the dog, helps the kid stay more grounded, etc., etc. So you've got dogs that do that. You have dogs that may uh, detect blood sugar changes for somebody with diabetes or changes in electrical activity for someone with a heart problem, etc. These are really, really specialized dogs that if you saw them out and about, you'd think, well, what the heck does that dog do? Because that guy doesn't have, he doesn't look blind, he doesn't have crutches or anything else. Yeah, right, that's a service dog, sure. And then there are the dogs for people with psychiatric conditions, uh, and these dogs do a variety of tasks that may not even be readily apparent to you, like my friend's dog, who is a Japanese chin. And a Japanese chin, for those who aren't familiar, this is literally an eight-pound dog. I, I've got a kitten who's almost as big as this dog, <laughs> okay? Um, she's a tiny little thing, but she is probably the best-behaved service dog I've ever seen. She's just really well-behaved. One of her tasks is to do deep pressure therapy by kind of kneading dough. You know how cats kind of do their paws up and down on you? Well, she is taught to do that if she sees that her person is getting increasingly anxious and fidgety or if she's given a command to um, do the deep pressure therapy. She also is taught to interrupt repetitive behaviors, which is something we taught our service dogs initially too. 
because sometimes with certain mental conditions, people will get a physical tick. You know, you'll swing your foot a lot or you'll tap your fingers or you won't be able to stop moving your hand or something like that that's very distracting. And it's a symptom of increasing nervousness, increasing anxiety. And what this little dog does is she will lick her person and lick her person and lick, 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 lick until the person notices that this is going on and can stop. And as they do this more and more often, you know, the person gets cued and, oh, wait, she's licking my hand. Oh, oh, okay, I need to check in with myself and calm down. And these are really tasks that usually are owner trained. There are a few organizations that train for some of these things, but a lot of them are owner trained and a lot of them are tasks that people found help them. Deep pressure therapy. If your dog comes over and put its, its big retriever head in your lap and presses down with all its worth, as we know some of our dogs do, that's a behavior that can be taught on command. And that dog will sit there to be petted and you can take advantage of the pressure of that big head on you or the paws or the entire chest of your dog up on your lap to actually calm you down and help you through that pressure, through allowing you to stay more grounded. So there are tons of things that dogs can be taught to do that are behaviors, that are tasks, that are work, work being something that it's always monitoring for, like, say, detecting blood sugar changes, something like that. Um, these are all things that dogs can be taught to do to help somebody's disability and help mitigate some symptoms of that disability. Now, saying that, um, there's a lot of confusion out there as to that fine line between what is an actual service dog versus what is a dog that just makes me happy because I have it there and me petting the dog calms me down. Well, the dog isn't actually doing anything but behaving itself, hopefully. And unfortunately, not often the case with some people who drag their dogs in public and don't even really think about it. They think because the dog makes them feel good, it's a service dog. No. In order to be a service dog, you've got to have two things. And this is across the board, regardless of whether your dog does one task or 50 tasks. You have to have that good social behavior, public access kind of situation where your dog is, I won't say bomb-proof, because no dog is literally bomb-proof. There's always going to be something that can distract your dog. But your dog is pretty psychologically prepared. It's got the shock absorbers, as a friend of mine says, to be able to handle these things. That's part of service dog training. Then there are the actual tasks themselves, the alerting to sounds, the guiding, the retrieving, the deep pressure therapy, the different types of things that the dog will do, the alerting, going to get someone. So we have a lot of different things there that your dog must be trained to do. The ADA says you only need one trained task. Assistance Dogs International for their programs require three tasks that the dog must perform to help somebody with a disability. So we have those, those tasks. We've got that public access training, and that makes up a service dog. But the third thing is you have to have a disability. And having a disability means that you have a condition that substantially affects one or more life activities. 
And that's where I think a lot of people, but I get a little nervous in public. And I don't want to make fun of people who have social anxiety by any means. Don't get me wrong, because it is really an issue. But, you know, somebody who just gets a little nervous in public and feels better having their dog along doesn't have a significant disability. Anybody who has a significant physical or mental disability knows that it's a whole lot more than that. We're talking about not being able to do things. We're talking about some really substantial and barrier-imposing kinds of things in your life. And that's where we have to really look at, is that really a service dog? And is what it does really a task that helps you with your disability? And these are things that only a court can decide, by the way. Um, It's not something you on the street can look at somebody and say, oh, that's a fake. I know it is. You're faking it, and, and you don't really know that. So, guys, please don't do that, please, because <laughs> that's just going to get you in a lot of trouble. Even though it's really tempting to want to do that sometimes to people who are obvious fakers, if you're ever having a bad day with your dog and somebody comes up and does that to you, you're going to hate it. So just don't judge. So anyway, Aaliyah, I don't know if I just made it a whole lot more complicated, or, <laughs> but... That's the big picture when it comes to all different types of service dogs. And it really feels like we're being inundated. Like, oh gosh, the in thing now is to have a service animal. I think in some quarters the in thing is to pretend you have a service animal or to think you might have a service animal and not realize what it takes to actually have one. So um, I understand where some people are uncomfortable But for the people that really genuinely need their animals and have taught them and have put in the time to maintain their training if they got them from a program or to put in that training to begin with if they're owner trained, it's the same as it is for us. All the rules are the same, all the laws are the same, and all of the social expectations are the same. Awesome. Thanks for that. Um, That kind of brings me to my final topic of the evening which regards an article yes an article let's hear the collective sign out it was published Mm. by yes 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 npr and it talks about assistance dogs international and akc akc yep i said akc wanting to bring in a certification system that mainly they want to start with airlines and psychiatric service animals, but they would like to bring it to the rest of the service animal community. And everyone calm down. We can hear the gnashing of teeth out there already. Yes. Breathe, breathe, breathe. In, out. The, the. Not like that. Interesting. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, there will be no demos here. Okay. Oh, goodness. <sighs> yeah. Don't use your dog's panting so, as model breathing, please. That's right. And I was just going to say, why is this a bad idea? Because when you hear the article, you think to yourself, as some people do, well, wouldn't it be nice to just show somebody a card and say, hey, I'm registered with so-and-so. Let me in. Just stop all of the, you know, it's the same reason that people say, well, I've got an ID from my school. That should get me in, right? No. So basically what is being proposed, there are two separate, they're registries at this point, and they are voluntary. 
So I have to say that because at this point, Indeed. they are that. They are that at this point. One is being proposed by Assistance Dogs International and the American Humane Association, and that is for their member program graduates. Uh, and the American Humane Association is proposing to do a test for owner trainers that owner trainers can take to get this ADI, quote unquote, type certification and accreditation and, and credentials to be able to do things like travel overseas where only ADI accredited teams are allowed, etc. So American Humane wants to do that. Then there's another registry that is being touted by Canines for Warriors, which is a service dog training program, and the American Kennel Club. What? The American Kennel Club, yeah. you say? Yes. Yes, the American Kennel Club is changing the name of its Canine Good Citizen Test Urban Access version, which is a great idea. I don't want anybody to think, you know, that the, the CGC is a bad idea because it's a wonderful idea. And yes, if you're a pet owner, take your pet through the course, get your dog certified and keep up with it and do the urban one if you're in an urban area. It's a wonderful idea but they want to call it the public access test. Now that's a term that service dog programs use all over the place. That's our badge of, of accreditation basically, is the public access test. Why do you think they want to call it the public access test, folks? Because of this registry, okay? Now, there is already a registry in the state of North Carolina you can register your service animal, guide, hearing, whatever your dog does. You can do this voluntary registry. And I've already received complaints at the Guide Dog Foundation from our graduates and others who say that businesses in North Carolina now are demanding their, their registry information. Well, I'm not registered with North Carolina. I don't have to. Yes, you do. You're not in the registry. We don't have to let you in. This is what happens, folks, when you have a registry that's, even though it's not mandated, people want a simple answer. They don't want to be watching your dog's behavior. They don't want, they want to see the card. Oh, look, you got the card. Okay, go. Your dog could be chewing someone's leg off, you know, but if yeah. you bow, you've got the card. So there's nothing we can do, but it takes the whole purpose of a behavior standard, which is what our access rights are based upon. And just says, well, that doesn't matter because our people are getting a free pass. Now, I know that's not what ADI, Assistance Dogs International, intends, but I can tell you that's what's going to happen because it's already happening. Yeah. And we can do the thunderclap and the big, you know, voice of God noise now if you'd like, <laughs> because this is how serious this is, folks. I mean, if you ask the folks in Canada the fight that they had about the national, the Canadian Standards Board, and that mess about creating a national standard it for service awful. animals. Absolute the, disaster. Yes, absolutely. And, and the handlers rose up and said, no, no. You know, and this is all being done. And I think for some people, it is honestly an altruistic thing. For other people, I'm not entirely sure, and you can quote me on that because everyone knows that I feel this way, including my employer. But what saddens me is that these registries are being touted as something 
that they want to put in place to help the poor people whose disabilities are not apparent, like our veterans. And I hate seeing people used like that. Um, I really think this is just a really, and believe me, I've had grown men who are highly ranked military people who have been in horrible situations, you know, life and death and all that, crying on the phone because somebody would not believe that their dog was a service animal, and no matter what they did. And so I get it, folks. I understand how hard it is. I've seen, I've been with friends whose disabilities aren't apparent and their dogs were questioned. And my dog was not questioned, and it was not right. And it was uncomfortable and all that. I get that, but you know what? That's not where the problem is. The problem is with the ignorance of the people who are causing the problem by not looking at what the law says they can ask, asking those questions, then if the animal is behaving, letting the person go on their way. So it, it's very, very much misplaced, and it's putting more burdens on people with disabilities because the Air Carrier Access Act is set up in such a way and has been administered in such a way that there's this division within the working service animal community between psychiatric service animals and all the other kind of working service animals. That's no reason to make everybody either join a registry or do something, jump through some other hoop. Let's fix the initial problem and take away this stigma around psychiatric service animals. One of the reasons that stigma is there, by the way, is that the airlines and others felt that people would all of a sudden become, you know, have some sort of psychiatric disability just to get their pet on the airplane. And so they decided, well, for that disability group only, because people don't ever fake blindness, right? Oh, no, never. That never happens, right? How many times have we heard stories or have we been asked by people, where can I get a harness so I can take my German Shepherd on the airplane? You know, yep. It, it happens, folks. Um, it does. It does, sadly. And, you know, just because this law was constructed badly in one of its updates, please let's not do a knee jerk reaction of, you know, getting out the, the yellow paw print armbands. Oh. Uh, you're going to get letters now. <laughs> But that's that's what it comes down to, and it's it's quite serious. And you know, I'm sure the people in Canada did not see this coming. And then when it did, they really had to scramble. And and I'm impressed that they made the the inroads that they made in this process. I don't know that it's all over up there either, because right, Megan, you guys have a national or an ID scheme in your province, right? Yes, we also have a voluntary registry. For the standards that were going to be implemented, we barely knew about them. Um, the guide dog and service dog community had no idea until the about two weeks before the deadline to send feedback in. Yeah, can you believe so that's we been a really, year really ago? Scrambling yeah. and trying to fight it and not let it proceed. Wasn't it <laughs> a standard that your dog had to be okay with somebody else removing it from your presence? Like and walking away with it, I think that was one of the. There were some standard. very wild there things was, in so that stand. Stuff on there that were outrageous. Yeah, it was ridiculous and unrealistic. Luckily, we're not there quite yet. However, 
these registries are going to be, you know, um, I was talking to somebody the other day and he said, well, you know, as a blind person, how do I know that that guy demanding to see my registry card is actually with the business or if he's just a nosy member of the public that doesn't believe my dog is supposed to be there? And I said, it's not just blind people. How would you feel if you had PTSD and you finally got the courage to go out in public with your dog, everything was cool, and then you suddenly got people demanding your papers? And that happens a lot now. You know, having a registry card is not going to make it any better, folks. It's oh, not. It's see. just going to give a lot of people license to, you know, come up and, and bother you or demand things of you. And that's not what civil rights and civil rights law is all about. And I don't know how we get that message across. I really hope that the consumer organizations, all of them that exist around guide and service dogs, pick up on this and really say, wait a minute, you know, we appreciate that you realize that it's hard for us to travel because people don't recognize us. Well, how about we teach people who we are instead of giving the business community an easy way out. Yeah. So here in Alberta, we have the voluntary registry, as I mentioned a minute ago. And I registered because at the beginning I thought I had to, because that's what the website told me. But I've only ever been asked for ID once in the two years I've had my dog. And I know others who have been asked multiple times and the business ended up letting him in, but nonetheless, it's really annoying. Yeah, hmm. it's it's obnoxious. I mean, you don't you don't get stopped for a driver's license every time you want to go in the grocery store to make sure you have the right to drive your groceries home. <laughs> yes, and and someone said, well, you know, you have to show ID when you get your groceries. Um, only if you're going to give them a credit card and they require that for your credit card or, or something. Or if you're buying but alcohol or it, a pocket uh, Yes, yeah. and that's, that's the you primary know. reason, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and then there are only certain people that are going to be able to ask for that and only under certain circumstances. It's not like everybody on the street can ask you. And unfortunately, we're getting into that culture now where I've seen people on the internet, you know, well, I asked so-and-so, you know, where'd they get their dog trained, and is it really a service dog? And I'm thinking, how would you feel if somebody did that to you because they didn't think you looked right yeah. with your dog, or you didn't have a leather harness on your dog, I but you were claiming it was a guide dog, you know, all of that. And, and so we have to be really careful about this because I know how angry, I mean, I get angry when I see somebody who's blatantly you know, scamming the system. I, that just infuriates me, but it's not my place to say anything about it unless their dog is interfering with mine. That's going to be for the authorities yesterday. to deal with. Oh, Ooh. Ooh, Let's hear about sorry. your fury. Oh, no. Oh, no. Tell the story. Yes. So yesterday I went to the mall, and I was wandering around with another friend with another guide dog, and... What do we hear from across the hallway from us? But a little yappy dog. Sounded like probably about 10 pounds, maybe. And it was barking at our dogs nonstop. I wanted to go find security because they do not allow dogs in the malls, as far as I'm aware. At least they shouldn't be. Except unless they're service animals. And this did not sound like a service animal. Mm -hmm. 
but I wanted to, and I wanted to go into a store to complain and get security out there, but I had no idea what the dog looked like, so that didn't really help me. So <laughs> I yeah. think Alberta and the rest of Canada is going to be cracking down on this in the next few years. I think I've heard rumors BC's right now pretty bad. Like you can actually be denied access to anything in the public with if you're asked to show ID and you don't have it on you. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's that's bad. sort of a that's one of those. Have to, um, oh, too much. With BC as your service animal, if yeah. you are a resident. Yeah. Now, if you're visiting, I'm not entirely sure. See, that's you. what I always wonder about. Yeah. What about the visitors? You know. What if I want to go to Vancouver or something like that? How am I going to be treated as a as a visitor? What am I going to need? And that's what makes me nervous about North Carolina because, yeah. you know, okay, yeah, go visit North Carolina and I get some business that, well, are you on the registry? We want to see proof of that you're on the registry. Well, I'm not from here. Well, you know, you're supposed to be on the registry. And this is what it was like, guys, prior to the ADA, when different states would have different service animal laws. In one of the states, I want to say it was either Kansas or Arkansas or Oklahoma, one of those states, um, your dog had to have an orange leash because the people who wrote the law only knew about hearing dogs. And at that point in yeah. time, an orange leash or a yellow leash meant hearing dog. In Kentucky, your dog had to wear a muzzle, or could, you could be asked to muzzle your dog at any time in public. This was prior Ew. to the ADA. By anyone. Oh, <laughs> Okay. My. Yeah, can you see how well that would go today? So, wasn't this it? This is the kind of, yeah, this is the kind of thing that this stuff. Didn't it used to be a thing where you had to muzzle a dog when you got on a bus in at least Columbus? In Columbus, yep. yes, yes. Well, you did if the dog was in training. And that was strictly with pilot dogs. So because I got my first two dogs from pilot dogs back in the 80s. Yeah, I am old. And um, um, Yes, we did have to muzzle our dogs on the bus. And occasionally if you were riding the bus lines that went near pilot dogs, there were two of them in particular, and the bus driver didn't wasn't paying attention or didn't, you know, just didn't want to deal with it, you'd have to muzzle your dog even though you'd already graduated and you were perfectly legitimate. And so, you know, people, the first thing you tell people or the, the least bothersome for them is the thing they're going to do, you know. Yeah. Well. So, yeah, it's a little scary and it's a little intense. Yeah. But it's something certainly to be on the watch for. And remember, too, that if a business, if somebody legitimately from a business asks you those two magic questions, you know, is that dog a service animal for your disability? And what does the dog do to help you? You are obliged to answer those questions. Yes. Um, and, and answer them respectfully. You know, now if it's like the fifth time you're, you've been asked in the last 10 minutes in that store, then okay, no, that borders on harassment. But, but you are obligated to answer them um, the DOJ did say this in one of their trainings that if your case goes to court and you didn't answer the questions, you have no standing for a complaint against the business because you didn't let them know. Because believe it or not, not always obvious that we're blind. Yeah. Um, hard to believe, but <laughs> not always obvious. So, 
That's why if I ever run into an issue, my first response to that person is, this is a guide dog and I am blind. You know, mm -hmm. it, and it doesn't have to, I don't have to disclose my disability. I choose to, right. you know, because yep. like if somebody doesn't speak English or whatever, it's easier to say, I cannot mm -hmm. see. This is my guide yes. dog. And yes. that is. And sometimes you have to go to the colloquialisms. You have to say, this is my seeing eye dog. You know, whether it comes from the seeing eye or not. Sometimes you have to go mm -hmm. to meet the person because there are many times when I've made cultural blunders about somebody else's culture and had to, you know, say, wait a minute, I don't understand what you're talking about. I'm sorry. Or, oh, I just said something stupid. I'm really sorry. You know, um, yeah. so understand that people don't know everything about disability culture. Right. And if you start to have a problem, one of the quickest ways to get it resolved, if it's going to resolve, is to pull out your phone. You um, bet. There is a great app called Blindfold Video. And this app automatically, when you double tap or you say, hey, bleep, bleep, open blindfold video. The minute that app comes on, your video camera is going. You can also say, hey, bleep, bleep, uh, record video. And immediately you're on the video recording screen. You move In your finger up from app. your home yeah. button and... Voila, there or, you are, double tap, there you are. That's on an iPhone. Even if you don't have this app, you say, hey, woman, or hey, dude, record my video, or record a video, and then press the volume up or volume down keys. Uh -huh. That does work as well. She just gave me a new trick, sweet. Mm -hmm. Either volume <laughs> yeah, key. Thank you, Aaliyah. By nice. default, unless yeah. you've turned it off, that works. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm telling you folks, video is very powerful. Point your camera to where you think the action is going on. Even if you don't get it all, you're going to get the audio. Oh, yes. And honestly, especially if you've got a complaint with an airline, you're going to need the video because it's your word against theirs, against theirs. in the complaint process. And Absolutely. The, the federal officials will take those videos. They will look at them, so save them, put them uh, in Dropbox or someplace where you can share them. Don't go out and share them right away on social media unless it's something really horrible. You know? Right. But um, try to work it out before, but let them know, hey, I do have a video of this. You really don't want me to show that, do you? I almost had to do that. Um, I was flying back from convention on Southwest to my parents' house, and I walked on the plane at 7 a.m., no breakfast, no orange juice, cranky Aaliyah. I get told by the flight attendant, you have to sit in bulkhead. I'm oh, like, no, 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 no ma'am, no. I don't. She said, it's Southwest policy. And here comes another flight no, attendant. No, it's not. I said, no, it's not. I said, you can recommend something. You cannot demand that I sit in bulkhead. She's, in my eyes, safer in a row with a seat in front of her. And then mm -hmm. she proceeded to go, have you done this before? I'm like, oh, lady. Oh, lady. <laughs> <laughs> you know not who you mess with. <laughs> it is lack of orange juice, Dracula. You know not who you mess with. <laughs> and, oh, she, she just had this tone. And I was like, oh, lady, no, no. And I said, ma'am. Let me show you. And I took Whitley's harness handle off, and I kind of just cue her with my hand. 
she goes into the seat by the window and tucks up underneath it and lays down. They never said another word to me the whole flight. But if I had mm -hmm. needed to, I had my phone in my hand. And mm -hmm. I submitted a complaint to the DOT, even though I was seated, because the flight attendant still didn't know this is not Southwest policy. Yes. And I and, still did it. Yep, and I encourage everybody, do submit those complaints. Even if you get it resolved, let them know that this is still an issue because if they don't hear from us, they don't know these things are going on at the DOT. Well, and they need to know, even if they get resolved. <laughs> they do, except the person that contacted me from the DOT told me that it wasn't one of their enforcement priorities, and he said it he wasn't going right to do now. anything. He said he wasn't going to do anything you. about it. Well, I can tell you it's not one of their enforcement priorities right now. That doesn't mean it doesn't go into a record. So just because they're not going to do anything about it at the moment doesn't mean it's not being logged. So, and I'll tell you the reason why they said that, because they're in the process of putting out new regulations and putting out a notice of proposed rulemaking, finally. And they are being very judicious in what they enforce right now, partially because the airlines have made some deals with them to put in some new regulations, all of these things for emotional support animals, um, extra documentation and things like that. Southwest, by the way, not to excuse what happened to you, Aaliyah, by any means, because that happens all the time on all the airlines, unfortunately. I don't know who this magical federal law was made up by that says we have to sit in bulkhead, but right. folks, it's not true. No. But nope. anyway, Southwest is the only airline that does not make a distinction between psychiatric and other types of working service animals. They're the only wow. airline that never has and does not and does not intend to. I didn't know that. So... That's Yay awesome. on them. However, <laughs> now let's train your staff about seeding Southwest. Right. And actually, they're really open to it. So, you know, um, we'll, we'll talk after the <laughs> about who to talk to at Southwest about, you know, educating everybody on seeding. Because, unfortunately, for a long time, the guide dog schools perpetuated this idea that the bulkhead was the best place to sit because it had the most leg room. And for some people, it does. If you're 6'2 and you've got a big old lab that you use for balance, good luck getting it under a seat in right. regular economy class. And you know, and that's getting any worse and worse. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, that might work, but it doesn't work for everybody. And the law yeah. doesn't require it to work for everybody. So let's stop pretending like this is law or airline policy or anything like that. Yeah, and it's and it's you know it's frustrating because I don't want my dog in bulkhead. I don't want her on other people's feet. Now, mm -hmm. um, it is the case that some people need the bulkhead row. I know of people like that mm -hmm. who have massive dogs yeah. and are yep, absolutely big. You know themselves, big people, big yeah. people, not uh -huh. fat people. I'm not saying they're fat. Just I'm saying tall, they're tall. You know, people, and they need that bulkhead space, and that is they're entitled to that bulkhead space. Mm -hmm. if, they, if they need it, it's a reasonable accommodation for airlines who do have seating policies, and it's an option sure. if you're on Southwest. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it, it, it just bothers me, this whole, you must sit there. And then on the way back, there were five dogs on the aircraft that I was on, oh, including wow. mine. None of the other four were service animals, admittedly, openly. 
were either emotional support animals or pets. And the two behind me were whining and barking the whole flight. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Does anybody have any final thoughts or comments or anything like that? No, I think I'm good. I think you probably heard enough from me tonight. <laughs> well, folks, uh, now we are going to find out how you can um, file complaints with these crazy people if you think they've talked too much. What? Oh, <clears throat> Janine, where can people <laughs> find you online? <laughs> well, people can find me online on Twitter at Janine MS, that's J-E-N-I-N-E-M as in Mary, S as in Sam. I am also on Facebook, but I don't have enough followers to have a cool Facebook address. So just look me up on Facebook, Janine Stanley, and that's J-E-N-I-N-E. Uh, you can also email me, if you dare, at janinems at iCloud.com. Awesome. And Megan, where can people find you online? People can find me on Twitter at MeganH13. That is M-E-A-G-H-A-N. H13, and people also can email me at G-O-A-L-B as in Bravo, A-L-L-D-I-B as in Victor, A at gmail.com. And you can find me, Aaliyah Dudley, producing content for iAccessibility. You can email me at Aaliyah, that's A-L-E-E-H-A, at iAccessibility.net, or you can follow me on Twitter at BlindCowgirl199. You can email your podcast hosts at podcast, that's P-A-W-D-C-A-S-T, at iAccessibility.net. You can find iAccessibility's content all over the internet. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at podcast underscore show. You can find iAccessibility on Twitter at iAccessibility1. Don't forget about iAccessibility's Facebook page. Just search for iAccessibility. You can email us also at feedback at iAccessibility.net. And please, if you enjoy the content that you are listening to, which I hope you are if you've made it this far, you can go online to patreon.com slash iacast and donate. There is also a donate button, a shiny donate button, on iAccessibility.net. Thank you so much, everyone. And we hope you have enjoyed this wonderful episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for sticking around, and we will see you when we see you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.